The Mind Sponsor for today is upcoming podcast series, Personality Sleuths. Personality Sleuths will be co-hosted by Dr. J. Galen Buckwalter, whose career includes being the founding chief science officer of eHarmony and me, leveraging my experience as a venture capitalist and entrepreneur. We will analyze personality using a speech-based proprietary AI algorithm, along with the clues evident in social media and the popular press. Each episode will dissect the life of someone famous who gained the trust of many before becoming notorious for duping people, committing a crime, or losing exorbitant amounts of money, all while the clues were there all along and how they spoke. Tune in soon. Our heart sponsor for today is Decoding Success. Decoding Success enables you to get a feel for the personality of the people with whom you are interacting passively, without alerting the party that you are doing it, such as would happen typically when a questionnaire is used, the only other means to capture the analyzable data. Using text from emails, messages, or a Twitter account, Decoding Success can optimize your chances for a successful encounter by prepping you ahead of time. Want to know about that entrepreneur in whose company you are contemplating an investment prior to the pitch meeting? Want to screen which candidates will be best suited to join your team before you even meet them? Visit D-E-C-O-D-I-N-G-S-U-C-C-E-S-S.com. On this episode, we have Jeff Hitner. Jeff was born and raised in the New York area. He became an elite gymnast devoting years to the sport. He attended the College of William and Mary. After studying in Spain, he came back to the U.S. and worked at IBM for about six years. From there, he pivoted to a number of strategic leadership and advisory roles. In the process, he became a member of the Bard faculty as a leadership professor for their MBA program. In the last four years, Jeff pivoted again, launching Project X, a social venture with a mission to help students, professionals, and organizations rediscover and activate their purpose through transformative experiences. He currently resides in Valencia, Spain. Jeff, thank you so much for being on our show. I'm excited to be here. Looking forward to the conversation. As am I. We've gotten to know each other a bit through our collaboration on on Robin, uh, and I've heard snippets of this story, and I've been inspired by it. So um, looking forward to hearing it, uh, the full timeline, so to speak, <laughs> and uh, being able to share that with with our audience. Um, Jeff, I always like to start from the uh, the beginning, and so share with us where you were born and raised. Uh, so I was born and raised in Massachusetts, uh, in the suburbs outside of Boston. Um, gotcha. You know, my my father spent uh, the better part of twenty five years commuting an hour each way so that we could go to the best public schools um, uh, in a town called Acton. Um, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. You have uh, siblings? Yes, I have a, a younger sister. She's four years younger. She's a, a pediatrician. Yeah. Oh, nice. Okay. Great. You have a great share of um, the early um, indications of you being an entrepreneur. Uh, I think it was in first grade. Uh, I'd love for you to tell us that story. Yeah, I like I have very few memories from this time of my life or this one house that we lived in, except for this one particular memory of um, launching uh, getting all the kids uh, from the neighborhood um, to launch like a, a some sort of fair that we ran in my backyard, and we, you know, we went around and we put envelopes in everyone's mailbox, and we tried to get all the kids to come, and 
we charged money and I remember like counting the money in the basement and who knows how much I actually made, but I literally remember that experience of like creating something, selling it, being happy that I was counting coins. And it, I feel like that was probably my first entrepreneurial uh, adventure, to be honest. And I was, yeah, I was in first grade. <laughs> That's so great. Um, so well executed. <laughs> we some of us have those ideas like, oh, you know, we should do a lemonade stand and then it basically dies right there. We may actually make the lemonade, but it doesn't go really further because uh, we've made such a mess that our parents are scolding us. Um, but uh, kudos for <laughs> staging it and pulling it off. That's really great. Yeah, I tend to have this difficulty when I decide I want to do something, but I see it all the way through. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's funny that you call it a, a difficulty um yeah. i'm sure there are more stories around that that uh, we're going to uh, going to hear um i know that uh, gymnastics became a pretty big part of your life um share with us when you first started doing that and, and how that that developed so i was always in the sports um and i did all sports and um i Gymnastics started in particular, I remember watching the 84 Olympics because uh, like that was the year that Mary Lou Retton was this amazing gymnast. And then the men's gymnastics team won the gold medal as well. Um, and my mom had been a diver, um, like not a serious diver, but like a diver through high school. And we, we had joined some summer, you know, pool. And so I was flipping around. And so she finally decided to send me to a, um, to a gym. And I think I attended two classes before they asked me to be on the team. And, wow. um, uh, but what was interesting is I was doing every sport at that time. And gymnastics was fun. And it, I was doing it no more, no less than all the other sports. I was doing, you know, all the travel soccer and baseball and even basketball. But then when everyone hit puberty, uh, I didn't grow. <laughs> and so uh, I stayed excellent at gymnastics, but like mm. less excellent at the other sports. And I think, I mean, this is only one of those things when you look back on it, right? Looking back on it, I think that's sort of how I gravitated towards the gymnastics. Um, but there were other reasons too, which was, I mean, it was very independent sport, so you could be very focused and I liked being focused. Um, and so I think probably around 12, 13, I got really serious and I was going, you know, four or five nights a week. And that by the time I entered high school, that was six days a week, four hours a day, um, and all the way into college, uh, where I ended up being the, um, the captain, uh, for two years for the, um, division one men's, uh, gymnastics team and uh, at William and Mary. And um, it's interesting because I've had a love-hate relationship with, my, um, with that sport for a while. Uh, I actually retired before I graduated. I retired and then I stayed a fifth year because um, I got injured at some point in college. I never got like, um, my injuries were always stress fractures. 
Um, so just kind of your body breaking down and I needed to have surgery on my wrist and it ended up taking months longer to heal. And during those months, I started seeing all the things I had missed out on by being so serious as an elite athlete. Um, and I sort of like wasn't when I came, when I got back into like my leadership role, I noticed I wasn't doing as well. I just wasn't as focused and I realized it was, it was time to stop. Um, and so basically I, yeah, I retired and stayed a fifth year. Most people stay a fifth year in order to do their sport. I stayed a fifth year in order to do everything <laughs> that I had missed out on. Yeah. Um, and including, I started an internet company during that fifth year as well. Um, wow. but yeah, but that was, um, I would say that gymnastics as opposed to a difficult childhood is what taught me to be resilient because, mm. um, gymnastics is all about pushing yourself outside your boundaries right. all the time, doing stuff that like feels really scary to you. And sometimes it takes months to build up to do some of those tricks on the high bar, on the floor. Um, and you know, you have you have a whole support and everything's done safely, but you still have to conquer your own fears. Um, and so it's that's why I have this weird relationship with it because I, I, I love who I am now. Um, but for a really long time, I was angry about all that I had missed out on because I did not have a normal childhood with gymnastics I was yeah and yeah I was in the gym was just, all the time yeah. exactly I was just thinking I mean and going through high school six days a week four hours a day that didn't leave you time to do anything else no and there it was any a half hour commute each way so basically I wow. get, get home from school at two I would um, eat far too much sugar and uh, <laughs> study for like a couple hours and then um, I'd leave at four and be back at nine and that was pretty, and then Saturday, it was Saturday was in the morning. So, uh, but not that I needed to sleep late because it wasn't like I was going out on Friday night. Either, so. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Well, <clears throat> that amount of discipline as well is it's actually really impressive. Um, and as you say, a demanding sport that asks a lot of you physically um, to, to push yourself. Yeah, um, I mean, for me, that was the whole thing was, um, well, I liked that. I, I, I was quite the student of it, always watching videos, learning new techniques. Um, um, I, you know, I would do double sessions sometimes as well as I got you know, like right before the big national competitions. Um, but that discipline is actually, I mean, we can get into this a bunch of different ways, but that's also what I rebelled against when I um, mm. you know, retired my fifth year. My goal was to get rid of my six pack. <laughs> wow. Um, and, and, I don't, and, I, and I don't mean from drinking, it was just like my goal was um, to free myself of a disciplined life um, for a while um, and just like experience things. And yeah. I think I've carried that desire for experiencing things, I mean, all the way to now and, and living in Spain. Um, but I have, I would say only, honestly, only in the last couple of years, like 20 years later, found my discipline again, and found mm -hmm. the power of it. Um, 
for my business because um, you know I launched a, my business about uh, well I launched it three months before my son was born always always smart right I, I launched it <laughs> um, and I really uh, this is Project X yeah Project X yeah. and I wasn't making any um, I, I I was I was making revenue but I wasn't making any real profit that to speak of that was of any value um until about two years ago when just something clicked to yeah to find that discipline again and i did and i started for the first time in forever setting goals i, I mean you probably know the old adage only three percent of people get up every morning and write their goals down um the other 90 percent are serving someone else's goals and um, uh, I started doing that, um, hadn't done it since I was focused on gymnastics. And lo and behold, like literally within the first six months of doing that, I had the highest income I'd ever had in my career. And then the following year um, expected to triple that. So nice. I feel like having discipline <laughs> is something that I shouldn't have thrown out with the, with the bathwater. Um, <laughs> well, you know how to harness it. You have that expertise and that ability. So uh, that's really great um, way to deploy it in a, a new setting that's, that's really serving you. Um, I would love to go back to the earlier days. Um, why did you choose William and Mary for college? I mean, William and Mary um, had the best academics and gymnastics. So they were one of, well, probably one of the top 15 or 20 men's gymnastics teams in the country. And then just like a dream in terms of the academics and just the setting of the, I like yeah. the, you know, the university town and you know everything revolved around it. Although it was also in Colonial Williamsburg, which is just amazing in its own right as well. Um, so for those reasons, although my parents were so good, they, you know, they let me do my recruiting trips. I went to UCAL Berkeley, I went to Syracuse and they were going to let me go wherever I wanted. And I know my parents must've, as an, as a parent now, they must've been so stressed out that I was going to pick like Syracuse. Um, <laughs> Um, and not because it's a bad school, but just because like they were stressed out because they just knew me and I think knew that um, William and Mary would have been a better fit. But lo and behold, I, I made that choice myself, which is how change works best anyway, right? And yeah, um, absolutely. It was a perfect fit. So great. I had lifelong friends um, and yeah, it was great. And uh, what did you study there? Uh, I studied business and marketing, but by staying fifth year, I, I did a ton of other things. Um, so um, let's see, I, I, um, I was in a school play. I wrote for the school paper, um, did a number of things uh, in my fraternity. And then I also um, started an internet company, which was my first internet company, because this is right back when money was growing on trees in the late 90s. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and so then I, I took that experience and um, parlayed it into some great internet jobs right out of college too. Well, share us this about that. What was the internet company? Like, what did it do? And then the so I'm sure you had after you graduated? Yeah, I'm sure lots of people said that say this, but we started one of the first like 
internet communities for a college campus. So it was kind of like a Facebook mm -hmm. before, way before Facebook. It was called SIN, the Student Information <laughs> Network. Um, and we did everything. We ran um, uh, elections uh, from there. You could find out what was for, you know, to eat at all the school cafeterias, <clears throat> what was on the television. Um, selling stuff, buying stuff. And you got to remember, this was at the very beginning. So mm -hmm. all of this was yeah. new. Um, and it was great. We had a 90 something percent penetration at, at William & Mary. And so of course we wanted to grow it to other schools. And it was crazy. We would go to VCs and they'd be like, yeah, for sure. And <laughs> we didn't think we knew anything, but no one did back then. Um, right. And then right before we are supposed to get funding, they found someone else doing something sort of similar that was just farther along. So they dumped us and, and put the money behind them. And so then I just went to work for a couple other internet startups in Boston um, wow. for a couple of years, um, like building out the e-commerce site back when you know e-commerce was new. I remember I would, I would tell the company because they had like just gone public um, they were worth $500 million. They had maybe 20 million in revenue. Hmm. And, you know, after, you know, by the time I had left, I think their stock price was down to the price of a gumball. But while we were there, it was just insane. The average age, like including the founder and CEO was under 30. Um, and, you know, we would go out every night of the week and as the, e as the person in charge of e-commerce, I would be like, I need a budget to buy things all the way through to their purchase, just to see how it's done as best practice. And they'd be like, okay. And I, I would buy like the things I needed for my house dishes and, you know, little things. And it would all be in the name of, uh, understanding the e-commerce market. So, um, it was just a wild time back then. Yeah, that's hilarious. Um, and yeah, and and but the weird thing as and it was so much fun, and I made lifelong friends there too, because I was in Boston and for those two years. The weird thing though is I had something in the back of my head that kept telling me that I wasn't, I couldn't trust my opinion of anything unless I went and saw more of the world, because mm. um, I had spent my whole life doing gymnastics. I never had a chance to study abroad. Um, I never had a chance to broaden my horizons. And it was really important to me. And so I actually called my alma mater and I called like the study abroad office at William and Mary. And, and I said, you know, I don't know if you get this call much, but I've already graduated and I really want to study abroad. And I, I got the, I, the director of the programs was like, nope, don't get that call much. But I, I have like, you know, we talked and he, he gave me some suggestions. And that's how I ended up um, going to the Catholic University of Leuven in Belgium uh, to get a master's nice. in cultures and international development. And um, so I, I was, you know, I, I was in the working world for about two years and then went uh, and moved to Europe. Um, and that was my first foray into Europe. And I actually arrived at school in Belgium on September 11th, 2001. Um, oh, wow. So, yeah. And so in, in one hand, it, you know, as tragic <clears throat> as the time was, it couldn't have been a more um, like perfect 
um, just design on my education because it was the only American in my program. There were 66 other people. Um, I was arriving while history was being made and I got to experience and live the history from outside like the borders of, of America, which gave me such a new perspective. Yeah. I remember struggling so much with like this new um, interpretation and uh, of history and American history from being in grad school in Belgium and you know spending all my days. Um, you know there was uh, Leuven is amazing. It's about a seven hundred year old university town with one plaza that has 37 uh, bars, different bars in it. And um, so you're always there, you know, having a drink and hanging out. And so every day really was conversation with friends from all over Europe and just learning more and more about my culture from other people's perspectives and my history, my American history was just, um, and, and during such a difficult time, it was so eye-opening um, and so challenging um, at least, you know, to my comfort levels, which I, mm -hmm. which I mean in a great way. Um, and it was awesome. And, and, um, you know, Leuven, um, particularly the Catholic University of Leuven in the, the Flemish part of Belgium, um, is one of the top schools for people from Europe to study abroad to, if they want to study anything related to the EU, in particular law. And so I got grouped with all the European study abroad students. And so I had this group of 11 friends that were from everywhere across Europe. I mean, everywhere. Um, and we would get together all the time. We would have dinner parties every Friday and Saturday, everyone from their own countries. Um, and we just all learned and appreciated so much from each other. Um, we had this joke that, you know, whoever had the dinner party had to know what time to tell each person. So if the dinner party was at eight, you would tell the Italians it started at six, you would tell the Spanish people it started at 6.30, tell the Germans that it started at eight. And you like had to, you had to figure it all out in order to get a, a perfect like appearance by everyone. And then one day I thought I understood it and we were meeting in the winter time to go to um, one of the, like the Christmas festivals that are outside. Um, and, uh, I showed up a half an hour late and my friends were all pissed and I was like, what's wrong? It's a half an hour. I thought that's what you're supposed to do. They're like, no, no, no. When it's zero degrees outside, you actually show up one time. I'm like, where's the rule book on all this stuff? I can't figure it out. That's so, hilarious. Yeah. It was quite a learning experience. Yeah. 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 No, that it's. Uh, I mean, the the cultural nuance of uh, interacting with people from different parts. It's um, yeah. There, there's this great uh, book, or maybe it's just an article about what tomorrow means in various cultures, <laughs> and how mm -hmm. like in, in in Northern Europe and in the U.S. it actually does mean within the next twenty four hours, but in like the Middle East, North Africa. Could be up to three weeks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> South America, it's a couple days. It's uh, uh, this is yeah, culturally how we're uh, tuned uh, in that way. Absolutely. Well, what a what a great experience! And then um, from there, you moved to Spain, I believe. Yeah. So um, I had all these, you know, again, 
I, I was not worldly um, before this adventure. And so I had all these expectations. I was going to move to Belgium. I was going to learn French. I wasn't even in the French part of Belgium, right? Um, mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, so yeah, the Flemish side. Yeah, and everyone spoke perfectly. I think they actually speak some of the best English in the Flemish part of Belgium because they speak three languages there. And um, uh, I tried my hand at Flemish, which is Dutch, you know, for about three weeks and that just uh, wasn't happening. So when I graduated, I decided I, I, I was still too typical, too typical of an American. I really wanted to know what it was like to think and dream and, and talk in another language. And so I moved to Spain um, and spent the next 15 months um, trying to make that goal come true. Um, and I spent most of my time living in Granada. Um, nice. And I eventually got pretty fluent. Um, I, I definitely, you know, studied at the University of Granada, but I, I think most of the fluency came because I got a Spanish girlfriend that didn't speak any English. Um, so yeah, they call it they intercambio say, de lengua. <laughs> yes, exactly. The best way to learn a language is on the pillow. Exactly. <laughs> um, and so. Um, it was funny because I had really a perfect life there. Granada is where tapas were invented and there's siesta every day and you go out at night and for a euro, euro 50, your drink comes with a big plate of food. And I was working like 15 hours a week um, teaching English um, and directing English language programs in the public schools. It was more than enough money to like live in this sort of rooftop they call it an attico like a penthouse sort of mm. apartment on the top of a tall building and there's not tall buildings there so it had the most amazing view of the alhambra um and life was good but something inside of me was saying like this is not where you're supposed to settle just yet um and one of the things i learned so much by being in granada and spain um but one of them was just how to slow down um, I think it started in Belgium, but it really stuck in Spain. I mean, where you have siesta and where, you know, you are, your day runs into a long evening out, just meeting at different spots for drinks. And, um, you know, the good things in life are literally basically free. And um, I feel like I, I could just hear myself better or God better or whatever you want to um, call it. Um, there wasn't as much noise. Now, remember, this was before we had mobile phones at this point, but no one had smartphones. This was before smartphones. And I had to go to an internet cafe to send emails still at that time. And um, uh, I just like, I was more in tune with, um, you know, what my, you know, my deeper sense of self was saying and needed. And so it just knew that it was time to come back to the States. I don't even know if I would have heard that sound, even in the present version of me. Um, but it, it made it, it like it, I didn't have to second guess it. I knew um, even to this day that that's what I needed to do. Um, so I came back like right before the year 2004 began. Um, and, you know, uh, I still didn't know what I wanted to do for a living. I had, you know, done internet stuff and e-commerce stuff. And then I had done some, Spain was really my first foray into teaching. Um, 
but I knew I still wanted to start a business someday. So I did like the stereotypical thing. I went into strategy consulting. Um, and I, I had come back to the US right during the recession in 2004. So it took a while. I, I, would, I applied to like every strategy consulting company. Um, and basically at the time, the only one that showed any interest or was hiring, I don't know which of the two that it was, um, was IBM. And so I ended up as a strategy consultant at IBM. And um, within about like probably the first two or three months, um, I realized I was doing stuff that was against my values. Like I was working on a pricing strategy for pharmaceutical companies. So basically figuring out how to maximize their profit on drugs that were being mm -hmm. sold in the US. And I really didn't like it. And I learned that one of my skills was actually networking um, and connecting with people. And, you know, so I found my way into some other groups and eventually like this is one of those yada, yada, yada. Eventually I ended up founding IBM's corporate social responsibility consulting practice globally um, and stayed there for a while. Um, and that was kind of, um, yeah, that was just another sort of peak in my career journey. Um, Excuse me. Yeah. yeah. Apologies. Um, I, I just wanted to comment. What a great um, career experience. And, and how, how did that idea come about? Did you, did you see the need for it and pushed people or were they? A little bit of, I'm, I'm always interested in the, the newest thing. Um, and so CSR was just starting to be talked about. And I had a great mentor at IBM who was into it as well. And so we started exploring it together. And um, he was like the global head of all strategy consulting uh, at IBM. So you know, it made it easy for him to give me permission. And then um, it just was like, it was it was so interesting that I was working and reading about it on Fridays and Saturdays. It's, it's kind of, you know, when I read the first books like the uh, Muhammad Yunus um, and, you know, just Korean a bunch Bank, of, yeah. yeah, yeah. And a bunch of other just sort of core books around, um, you know, thinking about capitalism differently. And um, I was just absorbing them. And then inside IBM, the strategy for building a new practice always involved developing our own thought leadership. So I would do research with the economist intelligence unit. We would design these really cool surveys and um, it was great. It was just like, I got to nerd out on stuff that felt like I was really changing um, in terms of the world. But um, um, my interest actually would always skew more to the social and there was a lot more business opportunity in the environmental, at least at that point. Um, and I left in 2010. And then um, I just uh, started my own thing, probably like um, around that time. I always start big things before big personal life things happen too. Right before we got married, I started a business um and that business was called ethicus and the design it was designed to be the um well it was the first as far as i knew um online and offline community of ethical consumers and small businesses in new york city that shared their values so you know we built a 
a user base or of you know more than 5,000 um, New Yorkers and about 500 stores and restaurants. And we had gone in and created this web-based mobile app. Uh, again, before there was an app store or anything like that. Um, um, well, that's not true. I guess there was, it had just started. And we would survey them, all the stores and restaurants on five different areas of sustainability from how they manage their employees to how they source their products, to what they did environmentally, to what they did in the community. Cause everyone had a different definition of um, an ethical business. Um, and so we were collecting new data that was really fascinating. Everything was going well and uh, you know, we were, we're building um, and growing in every way except we weren't making any money. And um, no one was interested in investing because they didn't understand how to think about a business with a social bent at that right. time. This was 2011. That's pretty early, yeah. Yeah, um, and it was super frustrating. Um, and uh, so I had to close that. And um, that felt like a really big failure, actually. And it took until building my current business, Project X, to look back on before. I, I really couldn't look back on it without like feeling like I had failed. And wow. finally, when I started building this business, did I get to revisit the experience of building that company and how amazing it was. I had like nine or 10 college and just out of college um, people working for me. No one was getting paid, none, including me. Everyone was working full-time in my living room, in my one bedroom uh, apartment. Like God bless my wife uh, for letting us do that. I mean, she was out at her office during the day, but I had nine 22, 23 year olds like crunched on couches and doing all going out to the stores and restaurants. And it was, and more and more people would come for like our Thursday afternoon meetings. And I designed something in order to keep people motivated since no one was getting paid called um, like the uh, rotating team leader program. So each week someone would be my COO um, mm. and they would like learn the ropes of how to like reach out to everyone and ask for things and lead the meetings. And cause they were so young, a lot of times they would just like demand things from people instead of figure out the kind way to you know, get stuff. And so it, it was, it was great. Um, so like I said, um, but I didn't think about those positive things again until I launched my my newest business. Um, wow. <clears throat> that's um, that's a good five years or so. Yeah. Between two, that's a, that's a long a time of, to carry that. Yeah. There's a lot of healing. Yeah, because you know I I closed that business, and then honestly, um, you know I I talk about this a lot when I talk about like I've had six career changes. Um, and they've been very drastic, very different. And um, each one wasn't like I just picked up the next day and, and went in a new direction. There were long gaps, these long moments of uncertainty, like, did I do the right thing? Like, oh my God, there's no money coming in. Not from, you know, I'm blessed that from the standpoint, like I, um, I always had a little savings, but um, it's still super stressful. Um, so when I closed that business, it took me a, a year to find a full-time job that I was looking for. I mean, in the interim, I 
wrote the curriculum for the Bard MBA in sustainability and was um, uh, one of the leadership professors there. Um, and, you know, I had a few small projects, but that wasn't my intent. My intent had been to find a full-time job and it was not happening fast. Um, and so those moments, um, yeah. So, so that was part of, I think, what kept the edge on about that failure for a while. Um, and then I finally settled at this wonderful boutique consulting firm that was doing a lot of work for, um, highly impactful companies and organizations in the world, a lot of nonprofits. Um, and, you know, I stayed there until I left to start Project X. Um, and yeah, you know, uh, it, it wasn't until about three or four years ago when I recognized the sort of the pattern in all my job changes um, and even those, you know, up and down <coughs> moments as I was just talking about. And it was, I was always looking to grow. I was never trying to answer what I wanted to be in the world. I was always trying to answer who I wanted to be in the world. And when I finally recognized that it took a lot of the pressure off. And I think that's why the last career change to starting this business um, just felt easier. Um, it didn't feel any less scary starting a business still scares the hell out of me uh, until you know whether or not, because I, I don't start businesses that, that get funding. Like my business is, you know, is, is generating profit from when I launched it. But um, um, just feeling more comfortable in my shoes, my own shoes about why I made the decision that I'm making, not because I'm being entrepreneurial because no one will hire me. Um, which is a good reason as well, or often a good spark. Um, but I had always felt that I was like searching longer for jobs than I needed to because I was misunderstood. I always knew I was skilled, but I was always interested in having a, having a positive impact. And I was finding it hard to mm. find the right type of organization to do that in. Mm. Um, so anyway, that kind of brings me to the work I do now. Yeah. Yeah, superb. Well, tell us about the inspiration behind Project X. Like, what did you sense? What did you feel? Where you knew, I need to go do this now. Well, you know, and it's evolved, right? I've pivoted a ton. That's how right. uh, startups work. So, uh, but originally it was born out of this re reality, right? That I had, I had um, switched careers so many times um, that I started, I took on a couple of interesting projects and one was um, to help uh, another company run a career change program for about 60 New Yorkers. And I ran this 12 week program, um, you know, where we would meet one night a week for three hours. And um, these were amazing adults in New York and they all were like burnt out and wanted to be completely out of their careers that they had invested their time and money in. Um, and so interesting because I started getting this feedback that I had I had never gotten before, which was, man, you're really good at like leading these groups. You're really good at facilitating. You're really good at like making people feel comfortable. You should do this all the time. And so it was like this pilot, you know, it, it's, it's, 
it's true. A lot of times we don't recognize our strengths because they come so naturally. Um, right. And I actually talk about this a lot in this sort of work that I do with people because our gifts and we all have gifts and everyone's are very, very different. But sometimes we think that if it doesn't take effort, then like it's not something we should focus on. Um, and for me, like facilitating and being in front of people does not take a lot of effort. Um, right. And so it hadn't occurred to me until people started giving me those compliments. It really hadn't. <laughs> um, but what I love, but I knew I loved it and I knew I loved building programs and, and doing teaching. And because um, I had done a lot of, you know, when I was at IBM, one of the things that I noticed was my favorite part about running the CSR consulting practice wasn't the client work. It was actually being called by universities and companies mm. and schools and asked to come and talk about CSR. Mm. Um, and I taught a little bit at NYU and, and a few other places. Um, and so I, that's when I started to recognize like that I had some energy when I did that. Um, so, you know, it, it wasn't a total surprise to do this career change thing, but then it was like, all right, well, what can I do to create a business that's a bit more expansive? And so I, I actually launched Project X first as um, to help people launch um, their entrepreneurial dreams, but not people that had already sort of really put together a business, but the people that didn't really know where to start. So... Um, you know, it was, it was 12 weeks and, and helping people figure out like how to be an entrepreneur as a person as much as how to be an entrepreneur from um, like the process and design. Um, and I, I launched in New York, I got a partner and he launched a career change um, program for me in Boston. And then I that he only lasted like one iteration and wanted out. And so then I just kept going in New York. Um, and then I ran a career transition program in New York. And then that evolved into like a purpose accelerator program. So now the program is very much called a purpose accelerator and it's a mix of career change and sometimes entrepreneurship. Um, but what was interesting with my business is it took so much energy and effort to get 10, 15, 20 people through the door to take the program. And it was, it, it was profitable, um, but it wasn't making me a lot of money. Like, yeah. um, and then I would get like randomly from just from my network and from my past, like Deloitte would say, Hey, you want to do a, um, like a two hour workshop uh, on purpose and I would get paid more than running an entire program with all. The, and so it didn't take long, right. To figure out like a new business model. Um, and so project X has evolved. So now um, it's the same skills and um, the same passion, but I'm doing it more for organizations. So um, I'm building a lot of leadership development programs um, uh, all, all around the globe, actually. Um, and I'm, I'm building them and then I'm running them and, and you know, training hypos, high potential leaders, um, doing a lot of coaching. Um, and then just 
I get to constantly create new immersive workshops uh, for all sorts of individual, oh, sorry, all, all sorts of companies that ask for it and, and for my own um, like B2C customers and it's super fun. And I've been doing that now and um, now the business is just really growing and mostly because probably I got out of the way of doing, I mean, learning the marketing side of bringing people in through the funnel, it's, it's tiring if, if yeah. that's not your thing. Um, and so now I've figured out that it's other people's thing. And so they sort of, I'm sort of like the Trader Joe's of, of, <laughs> of <laughs> career and leadership um, and l and workshops. So other people well have communities, right? And, right? and they white label me and I build those programs for them. Um, nice is going great. And to the point where I was able to tell all of my clients, um, I'm going to move to Spain. Uh, <laughs> this COVID thing, we've had enough of it in New York City. Um, wow. And everyone was fine with it. So amazing. Yeah. yeah. And so that was really what prompted the move just kind of uh, distance from the pandemic. Um, yes. I mean, it was it was the it was a kind of a perfect uh, wave of a lot of things. So our second son was born in May. Um, mm. So, you know, the lockdown began and we were seven and a half months pregnant and it was the scariest like first month because, you know, that's when no one knew, you know, you were afraid of everyone at that moment. And then I was being told I wasn't going to be allowed to be at the, at the hospital for his birth. birth. Yeah. And like, you know, honestly, I was crying about that often. And, and um, you know, finally, uh, actually, Governor Cuomo lifted that restriction. And, um, you know, our son was born and he's perfectly healthy and happy and wonderful, eight month old now. And um, we had, but we had, you know, then we were stuck in a tiny two bedroom apartment where we were both working and we had both of our kids and they were both under four. So they weren't going anywhere and they don't play with themselves. That's and right. Uh, right. And um, uh, around that time, our next door neighbors who had two young kids, one was like best friends with our, our, th our three year old they were from Spain and, but they had like even met and married and been living here for like 14 or 15 years, but they were like, screw this. We are out of here. And they moved back to Spain. And um, right around that time, like we had planned since January to do a, a month in San Sebastian, Spain as um, my, my wife's last month of maternity leave. And of course that got canceled. So there was this, mix of like our neighbors moving to Spain, us not being able to go, us definitely wanting to be out of the city with the the work and the, the children. And then neither of us happy in deciding to move to a suburb in like the greater New York area. So basically the only thing we could agree on is that someday we always wanted to live along the Mediterranean. And it turns out like we took our 20 year goal and condensed it into like a decision tree of, of less than three months. And um, our neighbors that moved were the ones that put the seed in my head where they're like, I think there's a visa that you could get. 
And I was like, what now? There's no visa. And I started looking and sure enough, there's uh, a visa that we like fit perfectly. And it took, it was like, it was like when, if anyone's ever planned a wedding while also having a full-time job, that's what getting this visa was like because it was so difficult. And um, also because everything is closed because of COVID, there was no expediting of anything. So everything was done via snail mail and you needed tons of documentation, tons. I had to push back our like appointment at the consulate a number of times. Mm. And, but my goal, like the goal that I set was we are going to be living in Europe before 2021. And so we had our consulate visit in like mid November and I bought the, the flights. I was like, I'm buying our tickets for December 27th. We're moving on December 27th. <laughs> and we had not received our visa yet. And the visa came in like the I want to say like the 7th or 8th of December. So I was starting wow. to sweat it. And um, and then we were, yeah, and then we were off and and, um, and we've been here a month now. Um, Amazing. Yeah, yeah. That's so great. And settled into a new home. That's, that's really fantastic. Um, Jeff, I'm curious, um, for Project X, who, who are some ideal clients for you? Yeah. Uh, bunch of different types of companies and organizations first just from a generic standpoint um, any company um, whose leadership cares so much about their employees that they want to be investing in their personal and professional growth and really focus on like the values of the organization through the growth of their staff um, and you know whether that's building like a really thoughtful multi-year leadership development program, um, or it's just a workshop to kind of tease them of the possibilities of, of doing something different and something greater. You know, I talk about purpose all the time. And for me, my purpose is to uh, unlock the unique potential in, in each of us. And, you know, I think, I really believe we all have a unique potential. And if we don't, um, if we don't actively cultivate it, then it's lost with us. And I think too many of the people out there have not put in the effort because it can be scary and the time uh, to do that. And so when I'm introduced to companies and organizations, um, that's my sort of motivating focus. But I do work with um, some global organizations uh, that are already having a huge impact in the world. Junior Achievement Worldwide is the is the biggest. Um, nice. And I uh, do work with startups too, where their founders are like super passionate about this type of work and this type of growth. Um, so I think it's sort of anything in between, but it's really about the culture that, that they want this for their teams and they want this um, so that you know, people can feel more whole um, and grow and, and that the leadership knows that the, the risk of growth is that they don't fit into the box of their job description anymore so that the leaders have to take on that role to find evolving possibilities for them. Um, those are the best types of leaders and the best types of organizations. Yeah, nice. Oh, that's so great. 
Um, Jeff, this was such a great conversation. Thank you so much for guiding us through. Especially appreciate your focus on the why. You did that so well, so eloquently. Um, was there a question I missed? Was there something I didn't ask that, or, or that you wanted to share that I didn't give you an opportunity to? Um, I don't think so. Um, except that um, I just say like you. There, there's, it's so easy for us to be distracted by our, from our why. I mean, mm. if I left out, um, I was hit and almost killed by a drunk driver uh, yeah. four months after my son was born, six months after I launched mm. my company. I had a brain injury and it took almost two years to recover from. Um, and um, it never, it just never stop it never made me want to change direction um wow. when when you know when you know the stuff that you're working on really brings you joy when you know that um you get the, when you get emails out of the blue about how the work you do impacts the other people makes them think differently makes them take new risks like that's that's why you that's when you know you found what you're supposed to be doing um, that's so great. yeah so i i would say that i mean I'm, I'm definitely not short of any there's other stuff we didn't talk about either right i'm not short of um like human challenges that i've had to overcome um but it's always been around like none of them have distracted me from none of them have forced me to second guess what i've really wanted even if it meant mm -hmm. redefining how to get there um and that's true for my business um, it's true for my own like recovery from those types of injuries. And um, uh, it's true for building a family. So, yeah. Yeah, no, that's for sure. Well, and certainly resilience is called upon to grow a family. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, Jeff, again, thank you so much. Appreciate your candor. Um, your authenticity and um, it's going to be hugely inspirational for so many I'm certain my pleasure my pleasure it's great chatting with you and looking forward to talking some more